Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. And you know, if it were not for great companies like Wells Fargo, People's, the employment option, and our host sponsor for the past four years, hi, Mark, we wouldn't be able to do these important things we're going to do like today. This isn't going to be a normal show, show, folks, because as you all know, it isn't a normal time with the coronavirus, but we care so much about everyone, but especially we are concerned about our brothers and sisters living with disabilities, dealing with this coronavirus, and also uh, Gang Young and Richard Roberts in um, Okinawa and Seoul, South Korea, who I love so much. They work diplomats for the embassy. I'm so glad you're both safe and happy to hear, Gang Young, that things are looking on the upswing now in South Korea. But wherever you are in the world, we care about you. We're thinking about you. And when I decided to do this, I thought, you know what? There isn't one, you know, national radio show podcast just dedicated to people with disabilities about this uh, COVID virus and this COVID epidemic. And yet people want to know, they're afraid, they don't know what to do. So I wanted to have this uh, emergency show today and I could not think of any other disability leaders that I would want to have on than Maria Town, the CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities, and Kelly Buckland, the Executive Director of the National Council on Independent Living. More importantly, they are two great disability rights leaders in our country that we all love and look up to. Um, Maria and Kelly, welcome. Thank, Thank you, Joyce. you, Joyce. It's great to be here. So, Maria and Kelly, and, uh, you know, please feel free to interject or uh, jump in. As you might guess, there is total panic and fear because for people with disabilities, there are so many types of disabilities, you know, with so many needs and people are isolated and don't know what to do. Uh, Maria, what? What are some of the main issues that you're hearing about, for example, for people with mental health issues? So, uh, Joyce, it's a great question. And there are a few um, issues specific to the mental health community that we should be aware of. Um, one is you know, just the isolation for people who might live by themselves. And I think that this is true for everybody, not just folks with psychiatric disabilities. Um, if you live by yourself, you know, check on friends who live by themselves. The prolonged isolation can um, be detrimental to people's mental health. And then um, also the, the news about COVID-19 and how dangerous it is can create um, a lot of anxiety. It can be very difficult to even filter out some of this anxiety-producing news if you're on social media or watching television because it, it's dominating the headlines these days, and it is very difficult to um, try not to focus on all of the various implications of this virus, and it can really... Um, again, create a lot of anxiety and harm people's mental health. And then another concern, and this, this is the last one I'll talk about, is uh, access to medications. You know, if you're someone who uses medication to manage your mental health um, and either a pharmacy runs out of supply or it's not safe for you to go outside and go into a public space like a pharmacy, you can have a hard time accessing uh, your medication. And a lot of insurers 
don't allow flexibility around medication refills, and they force individuals to have to wait until they only have a few days left in order to restock. Um, and that's a huge issue, not just for people with mental health conditions, but anyone who relies on medication for management of their condition or disability. Well, you know, Maria, I asked you that right away because we're getting so many questions about it. But actually, mm-hmm. I want to back up for a minute. You know, you... You've worked with the Department of Labor. You worked at the White House uh, with President Obama. uh, And you worked in the city of Houston with the mayor. You've done so much. And by the way, such a young age, and I'm saying all of this, uh, but that just says a lot about you. But people really look up to you. um, And I'll be asking Kelly this next, but they're, they're looking to someone to be a leader for them in the disability community. I wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any words of encouragement or suggestions or anything that you would like to say to our listeners? Um, Thank you, Joyce. That's really kind. I think some encouragement that I would offer is that, you know, disability on its own means that you have survived. Um, You know, people with disabilities, we are a community who knows how to adapt and so many of the things that we need society to do to adjust to this pandemic are actually things that the disability community has been advocating for for so long. And so I think now um, is a great time to speak up, to speak out, and to say, um, you know, flexible workplaces, um, proper, like, thorough hygiene. These are all things that we've been asking for. And now everybody understands. And so I think it can be very easy to feel overwhelmed and easy to feel isolated in times like this. Um, but if you can look at it as a way to, to where people without disabilities are finally understanding a little bit of our reality, um, we could use it to make some, some lasting progress in our movement. Yes, I agree with you so much. Um, and I have a question I'm going to ask both of you about that in a minute. Kelly, you are giant in our industry you know everyone when you in the disability rights community now you can say Maria Kelly and they know who you're talking about uh, but I wanted to ask you Kelly what 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 can you what hope can you give what advice can you give to people with disabilities listening to the show right now well I think um I mean, I think a lot of the information is out there for everybody else uh, is also apropos for people with disabilities. I think one of the major differences is that people with disabilities, when it comes to social distancing, um, it's not really feasible for a lot of us. I mean, we have people coming into our homes uh, more than once a day to take care of some very basic life needs, and uh, they have to touch us to do that. We can't uh, tell our personal care attendants or our uh, direct support professionals to not come into our homes because we depend on them to do things for us, Uh, and some of those are very life-sustaining things. And so I think there are different sorts of threats for us uh, specifically those people coming into our homes and we don't know what they've been doing the rest of the day when they weren't with us. And um, so we have to even um, do those basic hygiene things that people are talking about around washing their hands and, you know, trying to stay at least six foot away from people if they can and, but, and not coming into our homes if they're sick. All those things become even more relevant because of the people we depend on to come into our homes, and so, um, and given that, if one of if one of the people that we're depending on gets sick, we need to have some backup plans in place. So I, I think there are some other preparedness things that people with disabilities need to be mindful of that others don't need to be. Uh, quite so thoughtful about, and we shouldn't be shy about 
talking to those people who are working for us and coming into our homes about what we expect from them in regards to hygiene as well. Yeah, you know what? You know, that's just one example. You know, there are different things that people with disabilities are, you know, are going to encounter through this. Although, you know, one thing about people with disabilities is like we're a family. You know, we care about each other. We'll help each other. I'll tell you what we're doing at Bender Consulting Services. Of course, our corporate office, everyone's teleworking. But then we have employees on site, you know, at different companies. And now those companies have people at home teleworking, thank goodness. <clears throat> but we're still calling every person, including people that used to work for us, just to say, hey, how are you? Do you need anything? Uh, Like Maria mentioned about medication. You know, one thing right now, if you try to go to a grocery store or pharmacy, you're like lost in this, like a stampede. And, you know, people with disabilities sometimes are not able to move that fast if they use a wheelchair, whatever the disability may be, or if they're uh, blind. There's so many things you can think of. Uh, But, you know, we have to have... We have to we have to take care of each other. We have to reach out to each other. And uh, Kelly, what if, what advice do you have then? You're, I assume you're meaning that if you have a personal care attendant, that you tell them, "I want you to wash your hands, possibly wear a mask uh, or gloves, whatever," but that you expect the same uh, treatment that they're advising on TV for people during this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Is that what you mean? That's correct. And then um, have backup plans in case your attendant gets uh, ill, too. And I think a lot of the surface cleaning stuff, you know, for your attendants is important, too, like um, their cell phones, for instance. I think to instruct your attendant to make sure that they're wiping their cell phones down often with uh, disinfectants because those are huge germ carriers. So just saying, I think that's another piece of advice I would give. And then I think Maria's comments about medications are really uh, true for everybody. You need to, and they're loosening the rules around that too, so people should be able to get, you know, medications on hand so that they have those uh, as well. So what happened? Yeah, go ahead, Maria. I think um, you know one of the things that um, this COVID nineteen virus has really shown us is how interconnected um, everything is, and you know Callie's comments about personal care attendants and communicating to them that you expect the same level of um, services and hygiene um, and the importance of having a backup plan. It's so crucial because, you know, even if they don't get sick, if they have children, for example, whose schools are closed, so now you have someone who has their kids at home, they have to arrange for childcare while still... um, working with consumers, that can create a, a, a bunch of conflicts and problems. And so maybe you as a consumer have told your uh, direct support worker, you know, you're not allowed to bring your, your children to work, and maybe now is a time to, to reevaluate that and say, you know, you can bring your children to appointments, but your, your children have to, you know, wash their hands or wear gloves or things like that. I'm not actually saying that that's a solution, but it is something that we all have to consider now um, because not only is there like a threat of of individuals getting sick, but it's now, you know, kids are staying at home. Um, Other forms of of care and support are are shutting down. And so we're going to have to think about meeting our needs differently. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, the other thing, you know, lots of uh, areas are cutting back on public transportation, and some attendants or direct uh, support 
uh, folks are actually dependent upon public transportation to get to work, too. So that's another issue that affects the workforce that we depend on so much. Yeah, I, I wondered, even <clears throat> even here in uh, Pittsburgh, we're keeping an eye on access, which is the paratransit in Allegheny County for people with disabilities, but it, it's almost like, you know, you have this little map, okay, it's transportation, do I have a backup plan, you know, if my uh, attendant or caregiver isn't coming, I, you know, you, you have to think, you have to have this plan um, and Maria and Kelly, this is something I wanted to ask you. Um, do you have any idea how where people can go with disabilities if they have questions right now about? I give you an example. I have a mental health issue. I, you know, I'm I I have questions about what you do if you're not having your rights met. You know what? What do? You, where do they go? Where can they go during this time? Because I was wondering, yeah. maybe we should think of doing something about that. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could email uh, AAPD for certain questions. I don't know. What do you think, Maria? Sure. So at AAPD, we've built a form um, to capture how people are advocating, you know, what they're doing to ensure that um, things remain accessible or that their needs are still able to be met. But I think we could also create a similar tool for people to ask questions. Um, In addition to reaching out to AAPD, um, you could look into the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies, um, you know, they've done some, some great work. They've issued a disability call to action. Um, they've also been working on some guidance related to personal attendance services. And then um, I, I actually think, and Kelly did not tell me to say this, but I think reaching out to your local Center for Independent Living would be um, a great place to start. Yeah, I agreed, and I think that uh, people, I mean, they should reach out to their local protection and advocacy or their disability rights uh, folks as well. I, and But I would just tell people, like, um, a lot of the Centers for Independent Living have gone to virtual services as well as the P&As, so they're going to respond by phone call or email, but uh, probably you're not going to be able to go in there. And then yeah. people need to know that their their rights, even during uh, a national emergency, are not uh, put on hold. You you are still entitled to your rights as a person with disability, as protected under the ADA, and there are Supreme Court decisions that uphold that. Right, and you know what, um, you're you're bringing up such good points. I wanted to say, Maria, maybe at AAPD we can put out some type of form because, you know, when the news media, uh, national news media, CNN or whomever it would be, want to talk about this, want to talk about what are people with disabilities uh, enduring during this time, it would be great to have leaders such as the two of you but have information that you could talk about. You know what I mean? Because we have to have someone, some leaders that we're going to right now because so many different things, you know, so many things are happening. I I wanted to just mention, uh, for example, remember I brought up mental health? Well, I'm on the board of Bazelon and the mental health impacts that are major that they brought up are isolation because that obviously aggravates many psychiatric disabilities uh, and people may have a particularly difficult time during that. And then, as Kelly said, visits from support staff are limited, uh, and that makes it hard for people. Uh, And as Maria was alluding to earlier, just anxiety symptoms in general. And then what happens in these institutional facilities that people are at? You know, there are so many 
Um, they were even talking today, you know, what about people with disabilities who are uh, homeless? But Maria, you have talked a lot about these issues with medication. You know, what, what do you tell people to do? I mean, what, what should they do? So I think there are a couple of things that that they can do. I, I think one is even if you think you have um, a, a good supply of your medication, you should try to get a refill and work um, with your doctor to requ- request an additional refill. Um, at AAPD, we have developed a form letter that, individuals and organizations can send to their state insurance commissioners so that they can change the rules around medication refills at the state level. Um, and, and your state insurance commissioner makes those decisions. And then at the national level, and Kelly has been very involved in this, the House has passed a coronavirus relief package, um, and the Senate will have to pass it too. And so you can contact your senator to make sure that things like access to medication, continuity of services for uh, personal care attendants, et cetera, are included in that Senate aid package. And if right now we're in phase two, if not in phase two, in phase three. Um, one of the things that that I've seen is that there's a lot of attention focused on seniors and um, seniors and older adults are definitely um, more vulnerable, but one thing that often gets missed is that um, there are also middle-aged people with disabilities and young people with disabilities, and so we often have to go back and say, this can't just be for people over 65, we actually need is to be broader so that every person with a disability can benefit from some of the additional flexibility or emergency support that these federal bills are allowing. Yeah, that's why it's important to raise your voice and talk to your senator. I also want to uh, commend Senator Bob Casey, who is doing so much working on these issues right now. You know, you can go to his website uh, if you want to read more about that, but I know he's working very hard uh, on uh, moving forward with these issues that Maria's talking about. I think that we have uh, Perry Jude Radisic with us, who I called Perry uh, because I want, I want her to talk about what's going on also in Pennsylvania. Perry, are you with us? Uh, Joyce, I am. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And Perry Jude Radisic is the CEA of uh, Disability Rights Pennsylvania that I'm also proud to serve on the board. So what do you have to tell us, Perry? Yeah, so uh, let me just start nationally and then we'll tell you in Pennsylvania. So today the Social Security Administration offices are going to be closed to the public for all in-person services. Uh, and that's starting today. Now, they'll have exceptions for dire needs if you need a telephonic appointment, but everything else is going to have to be done online. So I think that's going to be a challenge for people with disabilities. EEOC field offices have temporarily stopped conducting in-person intake interviews. No walk-ins. So you have to go to the EEOC public portal to schedule an intake appointment by telephone. And so that's happened uh, this week as well. Now, here in Pennsylvania, we have nearly 100 cases, confirmed cases. And so the governor this week uh, declared the state essentially on lockdown. So all non-essential businesses have to close. Now, that's put a lot of challenges in front of uh, people with disabilities. And so the state is taking actions. I was just on a conference call earlier today with the Office of Developmental Programs talking about the steps that they're taking. And while everybody is interested in helping to flatten the curve, no one is helping with or thinking about the civil rights implications 
of all of these decisions, and I know that's what you've been talking about today, sort of the other side of, of this flattening the curve. And I think we all want to be helpful in flattening that curve, but no one is thinking about these civil rights implications except us. So what are they? So, so here in Pennsylvania, just like in Florida, Florida was issued the first waiver today, Medicaid waiver, and if you look at the Florida waiver, they're permitting the state to waive prior authorizations to evacuate licensed residential facilities to alternative settings and to modify their fair hearing and appeals process. But what I didn't see in that was any thoughts about these systemic issues, like what if somebody on Medicaid needed uh, more than a 30-day refill? I didn't see anything about that. So here we have these individual issues that are really systemic and yet nothing about putting people first. And so I'm, Pennsylvania was talking about a waiver uh, to Medicaid, uh, to CMS, uh, regarding their waiver systems, uh, but yet nothing about, uh, about medications and being able to get or authorizing more than 30 days. So that's a problem, Joyce. That's a problem. Now, that and, is and everything I'm seeing, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joy. No, no, go ahead. So, so the other things are all provider-related. And, yes, we need our providers. We need them to function well. But we fought so hard for community participation uh, to get people with disabilities out of day programs and into the communities, and now it's been suspended. Here in Pennsylvania, they suspended community participation. Again, I get, I get that we have to flatten the curve, but what are the civil rights implications of now suspending community participation for people with disabilities that we fought so hard for, and what are the implications moving forward? These are things that the PNA, the Protection and Advocacy System, Disability Rights Pennsylvania, has to monitor closely and think about and deal with. Uh, so this just happened today just happened today. So things are changing on us all of the time, all of the time. And so we need people to call us in Pennsylvania, special education. They sent people home, sent kids home. That's great. But all those parents who are working from home have to help their children implement those education plans. I don't think anybody with children are going to be working a full work day because they're going to be helping their kids implement those education plans. And if those kids had special education IEPs or 504 plans, what sort of supports are the schools sending home with their kids? I bet none. So there are special, big special education issues associated for K through 12 when they send those kids home. They need to be calling uh, people who know something about special education, like the Protection and Advocacy Network, so we can help those parents walk through those very issues. Uh, so in Pennsylvania, our number is 800-692-7443. If you want to find protection and advocacy in your state, go to ndrn.org and you can find us. Now, there are private lawyers who do education as well, um, uh, but, uh, but special education is going to be an emerging issue with the with COVID nineteen, and I have more issues, but I'll I'll stop there for now, Joyce. Oh no, we want to hear these issues because they're so important. Kelly Maria, do you have any comments about the information Perry just provided? Starting with uh, Social Security. Well, I'm not sure. This is not okay, sure what to say about it. Just. I mean, uh, it's interesting and helpful information, but it's also going to provide or uh, put a lot of uh, strain on people who need to contact Social Security. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'm glad you told us this. Did that go into effect just now, Perry? Yes, the shutting mm-hmm. starting um, today. Starting, starting today. today. How about you, Maria? I I think that um, the information you're sharing. Totally on point, the, the sort of tension between um, the desire to flatten the curve and civil rights, particularly on Social Security, um, the disability community 
nationally has actually been very concerned about Social Security's desire to move um, hearings and appeals to entirely um, virtual. Social Security has tried to shift their appeal process to a virtual system um, for at least the past few months, and we've worked, AAPD has worked in a couple of coalitions to um, voice our concerns with changes in that process because the data show um, that with these virtual appeals that individuals with disabilities are less likely to have their uh, benefits reinstated. And my concern with with a lot of these changes is that there will be moves to just keep it that way and eliminate in-person services altogether um, once we get through this. And it just creates a lot of barriers um, for people with disabilities. Um, You know, one barrier may be a lack of access to um, a wireless connection or to uh, a data plan, but another may just be uh, a lack of of digital literacy. Um, And a lot of these processes, whether it's something with Social Security or EEOC, all complicated, and um, it, it can be even more difficult to navigate um, when you're doing so through a screen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hey, Kelly, what do you think about what Perry was talking about with uh, what they're doing with community living? Um, I'm I'm not sure exactly. You know, when she when, when, when she was talking about how they're taking people, isn't that what you meant, Perry? That they're taking people f- yes. from community centers, people with disabilities. Well, taking people out of day programs in That's the intellectual disability community. Yeah, and they're closing sheltered workshops, which is something we've all wanted. You know, it takes a pandemic to close a sheltered workshop. How about that? And so, uh, but also taking people out of day programs where we have fought for community participation and now sitting them at home. And now they have nothing to do. I know they're stri- and they're redeploying staff. Also, in the Florida waiver, they are talking about taking uh, people, uh, if there is a pandemic or if there's an outbreak in a, uh, in a in maybe in a long-term living or in a nursing home, putting people where there's a licensed setting and moving them to an unlicensed setting. Oh, my. My, oh, my. Yeah, I know, because I know of uh, adult daycare centers, you're right, they're shut down, but they included uh, people with intellectual disabilities going there uh, for the day to, you know, like if there's a gym there, different activities they're involved in. But there are also doctors, dentists, you know, on site at the facility. Uh, Maria, were you going to say something? Yes. I, you know, one of the disability community's biggest um, concerns has been the institutional bias towards nursing homes and really shifting our service models from prioritizing nursing homes and other group homes to focusing on community-based services, and I think one of the things that um, COVID-19 outbreak shows us is just how unsafe a nursing home can be, Um, and we are learning more and more about the lack of um, safety protocols and health measures that are in place in a lot of these nursing homes, and I hope in the long run that... uh, advocates and policymakers, families and individuals will like take the lessons learned in this moment to try to really shift towards community-based settings and services that work for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, I, I have a, yeah. Uh, I have that concern uh, working the opposite way here, which is really what I was uh, one of the things I was trying to highlight before. I think the breakdown, if if people aren't able to get personal uh, care providers or direct support workers, what they're going to end up doing is getting institutionalized. I mean, we've seen that in a number of other uh, disaster or emergency situations where people are institutionalized because the services that they need 
aren't accessible or aren't readily available during uh, uh, an emergency like this. And I'm afraid that's what's going to happen in this instance, uh, which is why people really need to have backup plans in place because, uh, as Maria just said, there is an institutional bias, and I'm very much afraid that if this causes community services to break down, that's more people will be institutionalized and actually put at more risk. Yes, and Kelly, I know you're... Uh, I know how you feel about that because you've always been a national disability advocate to get people out of the nursing homes. And when you said that, I couldn't help but think about, and Maria, you probably know this also with some of the past hurricanes, how people ended up being put in nursing homes. And the question is then, when did they get out of the nursing home? Mm So Perry, right, what do you, yeah, Perry, what do you have to say about that? Oh yeah, this is a serious issue uh, of what we're going to do about people in nursing homes when there's an outbreak. I think we have to look at uh, Seattle and see what happened there and take measures so that it doesn't happen in our communities and hold state officials accountable. But moving people, this is the time to move people into the community instead of in an unlicensed facility. That was, that's uh, an, an unbelievable move. And we have, so what advocates can be doing is checking in with their state to see what their states are, are preparing because I think these, these waivers are being done behind closed doors. And then the next thing we know, we'll find out what the waiver says because it's been approved from CMS by CMS and we don't know what's happening. So advocates need to uh, be injecting themselves into this process, asking their states what kind of waivers they're asking for, uh, and and balancing uh, the flattening the curve with the civil rights of people with disabilities. Yeah, and um, yeah, we got see we've got it. That's why I wanted to do this show. We've really got to keep our our hand on all of this and know what's going on or, you know, on the pulse of this because uh, so many things could just start spiraling out of control uh, when it comes to people's civil rights. For example, one of the questions that, um, that was asked for me to ask you on the show today um, is the ethics and what they were talking about is uh, medical facilities and uh, treating people with disabilities uh, in those centers. For example, this would be things such as uh, patient treatment, access to ventilators. You know, what is what are going to be what are going to be the situations in with ethics in those areas? What do you think, Perry? So the the disability civil rights community in all of the states have been fighting those uh, uh, medical boards for a very long time in making those sorts of decisions uh, without the the disability community, and it's been horrific decisions. There have been horrific decisions, and if you look at Italy, uh, we are, as you have said, very concerned about those decisions being made here, and I think it is frightening a lot of people with disabilities. And I think that's why we, we need people to call their organizations, whether it's AAPD, uh, your independent living center, or the PNA. People have to know what you're facing so that there can be an intervention. And sometimes when, when civil rights or legal organizations intervene, there are better outcomes. So we have to know if you're facing of that situation with your healthcare providers. That's the only way we can support you and help you is if we know that's happening to you. Yeah, Maria, what what are we going to do? What are you going to do at AAPD as an organization to, you know, just be there to a, from a policy perspective looking at issues such as what we're talking about right now? Will you be taking the lead on this uh, on the Hill 
working with other groups, working with Kelly. Uh, you know, what what are what are what are your plans? Uh, so the the answer is all of the above, Joyce. I think um, one of the things that's very clear from this show is that there are so many issues tied to uh, COVID nineteen and people with disabilities and. Um, every organization can be leading something and working to lift up others in coalition. So um, we're working in a number of coalitions um, with advocates, both in the disability community and the broader civil rights communities. Um, One of the things that hasn't come up on this call yet is voting. You know, um, we're in the middle of primary season and there's a lot of concern that, you know, voter turnout will be suppressed because of fears around the virus um, and that states that are trying to figure out how to navigate primary elections um, won't set up systems that will allow people with disabilities to vote. Um, And so we're we're trying to figure out voting. Um, We, AAPD has recently done some work advocating against the use of quality-adjusted life years in federal um, health health programs like Medicaid and Medicare. And a quality-adjusted life year is a measure that's used to often reduce um, the cost of prescription drugs, but it does that by um, placing a value on people's lives. And often people with disabilities are rated a zero, which means that they're dead, or a one. Um, And it prevents them from getting access to those medications. And so we are concerned as an organization about similar systems being used to ration out care in um, this time of COVID. And we... um, I know one of our board members, Ari Naiman, is um, helping me work on a letter to uh, the Hill right now to ensure that um, they don't use any of those kinds of measures to prioritize care. And we are strongly advocating that individuals who would um, need a ventilator for a, a condition they deal with on a regular basis still have access to that. Um, we also are very concerned about the president's comments that states just need to figure it out um, around ventilators and other forms of health care support. Um, we really do want to see significant federal leadership um, on this role and potentially mobilizing um, some Department of Defense resources to accelerate access to things like ventilators. Right. I mean that that is that is so important. Hey Maria, I, I wanna ask you a question. If there's some issue going on nationally and someone wants to get that to you, where should they email that to at AAPD? So um they can send it directly to me. My my email is mtown at AAPD dot com. Uh, again, that's mtown at AAPD dot com. And I'm saying that because if you're listening to this show and there's something going on, you know, as you're hearing Maria talk and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, I know of this one thing happening. You need to email her. You need to get her that information. Kelly, how about you? What is your email? It is Kelly at, that's K-E-L-L-Y at N-C-I-L dot O-R-G. And if I could just real quickly add, Joyce, I think. Also, too, like social distancing doesn't mean uh, social isolation. So what I'm really trying to say is I hope people will stay in touch with each other by virtual means, like through email and through lots of social media that we have. I mean, I I think the mental health things that we were talking about before, um, I think people need to stay in touch with each other through other means. You don't have to necessarily... Uh, touch somebody to stay in touch with somebody. So I think that's in, that humor interaction is very important for all of us, especially going through the stress we are right now. So I just would encourage people to continue to do that. 
Oh, I think that's a very excellent point. As a matter of fact, uh, with the mental health issue or just someone isolated due to a quarantine, one of the things that is being suggested uh, for people with mental health issues, for example, is don't text, call, and if you can, do FaceTime. You know, this gives you that ability to stay in touch, just what Kelly's saying. You need to stay in touch. You need to talk to someone. You need to see someone. And with technology today and your smartphone, you know you can do that. Um, So I'm really glad you brought that up because right now we all need to communicate. Hey, Perry, how about you in the state of... uh, Pennsylvania, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is your email? Uh, yes. Uh, so it's P R A D E C I C at disability rights PA dot org. Okay, could you repeat that? Yes, it's P R A D E. C-I-C at disabilityrightspa.org. Yeah, and if there is something happening here, I really feel it is important to get in touch with these great leaders. And let me me tell you, uh, with other shows we have coming up, we're going to always, well, Perry Jude's on every show, but we're always going to have at least... 10, 15 minutes where we talk about how this is impacting people. And although I couldn't take all these calls today, you know, I, I, I wish and hope you will email me uh, at jbender at benderconsult.com. That's jbender, B-E-N-D-E-R at benderconsult.com. I want to, you know, I want to hear from you. And I want to, the next week, I want to have people call in during that 15 minutes with any questions they have. Today, the format I chose was for people to email me, like the one question I ask or the questions about uh, mental health. But before we end the show uh, today, Maria, what, what would you like to leave with our listeners as your message today? Um, I think one of the things that I I said earlier, which is, um, well, two things, you know, don't be afraid to doubt, um, whether it's to your friends and family who keep talking about how only, you know, elderly and vulnerable people are going to get this, um, to your mayors, to your state legislators, to your senators, um, you know, right now is a critical time for people with disabilities to advocate for their own needs and the needs of everyone in this community. And the second thing is just to say it's okay to take a break from the news and to take a break from, um, social media, it can be, again, very difficult to hear people constantly referencing that um, individuals with disabilities are vulnerable. And so, you know, if you need to take some time to read a book, to look at videos of puppies or cats, um, that's okay. <laughs> and, and it's okay to, to just take a little bit of a break um, I know that right now everybody's working from home, and sometimes it's harder to take a break when you're working from home than when you're in an office. Uh, but remember to to take those breaks and to give your your mind um, a little bit of a break from the news and anxiety that um, the COVID nineteen outbreak produces. Good advice. Very good advice. How about you, Kelly? Yeah, well, I think Maria did a really good job of outlining some of the self-care things you can do. But I also, you know, I think people think uh, because you have to stay home, you have to stay in your house. Uh, I think it's important to get just get outside, like even if it's just in your backyard or your front yard or on the balcony or whatever, to just get outside and 
get in, get some sunshine and breathe some fresh air. And, um, and as I said before, I still think, you know, even though uh, we do have to do social distancing as much as we can, uh, I think it's important for people to stay in touch with each other and just uh, help uh, love and support each other as well. That's right. I agree. Uh, how about you, Perry? Do you have any last words? Advocacy matters, Joyce. And we, uh, we have to demand that our officials do whatever they can to support people with disabilities through this pandemic. Oh, Perry, I'm so happy to have you in Pennsylvania. You know that? You Thanks. are the civil rights passionate uh, person. You, you are on it all the time. And I would say to everyone that, first of all, Thank all of you. I mean, they are so awesome. These three people are so awesome. Uh, I once again, Maria Town, CEO of AAPD, Kelly Buckland, CEO of Nickel NCIL, and Perry Jude Radisick, who is our CEO at Disability Rights Pennsylvania. Um, and our website, what is the website, Perry Jude? It's disabilityrightspa.org. Okay. Uh, Well, we end every show with a quote. And, you know, so many people, they're in their own world, but they forget there is this other world. And there are other people, um, such as people with disabilities, that are going through a lot of issues. So I have to use this quote today. I love this quote. Our theme this year at Bender is justice. And this is a quote we used uh, this past month from William Wilberforce, who I love and, as you know, is a British politician and leader of the movement to abolish the slave trade. He has this quote where he says, you may choose to look the other way, but you never say again that you did not know. You know. You heard the show. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Be safe and be kind. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.